We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't light it, but we tried to fight it. Hear all about the fight in the danger zone. Amazing stories, incredible music, terrible singing about military history. I'm Paul. Sit back and relax if you can. If you're driving, don't even think of changing stations. You know how dangerous it is to take your hands off the wheel and your eyes off the road. Queen Labusa was a legendary witch in Central Europe, but you won't have heard of her. She lived a thousand years ago. One day in a trance-like state, while she was standing on the edge of a cliff, looking down at the river Vlatava and the forest on its far side, she spoke a prophecy saying, I see a great city, its glory will touch the stars. Then she said to one of her courtiers, In the forest below there is a clearing. There you will find a man making the best use of his teeth at midday. That is the place where this city will be founded. The courtier did as the queen had bade him, descended from the cliff and rode into the forest. There he saw some men. They were building a house, but it was midday, so they had taken a break to eat their lunch, making the best use of their teeth, as she said. Well, all except for one man. He was still working, sawing a block of wood. The courtier went up to him and asked, What are you making? He replied, A threshold for a house. In the Czech language, the word for a threshold is a pra. Lebusa's prophecy was right. The city that grew up on that site is today called Prague in the English, which means threshold, Praha. In these programs, I'm going to tell the story of three very dramatic moments in the life of that great and beautiful city. The misfortune of Czechoslovakia in 1938 was the gift to the world today of one of the great cities of Europe, left intact from the devastation of World War II. So I should begin my story in 1938 and leave the mystical Queen Lebusa standing on her cliff. In 929 AD, Bohemia, later part of Czechoslovakia, was invaded by the German king Henry the Fowler. The Germans withdrew when King Wenceslas agreed to pay Henry an annual tribute and to accept his authority over Wenceslas' kingdom. Adolf Hitler cited this arrangement as part of his justification for seizing the rump of Czechoslovakia in March 1939. This is the first of my three stories on the tears of Prague. Hitler had come to power in January 1933, but to August 1934 the aged president Hindenburg had died and Adolf Hitler had taken over his office as well as being the chancellor gave himself the new title of Führer and Reichskanzler. Edward Benesch became President of Czechoslovakia on 18 December 1935. He had the comfort of the Treaty of Mutual Assistance, signed with the greatest European power, Barnan, in 1925, France, to protect his nation against the resurging and aggressive Germany. Although his country had no treaty with England, he knew that if France went to war with Czechoslovakia's enemy Germany, then England would surely follow. 
The map of Europe had been radically redrawn at the end of the Great War on the American President Woodrow Wilson's principle of self-determination based on ethnicity. However, as the loser of the war, this principle was applied nowhere to the Germans. The Germans of Austria were wanting to be part of the new Germany, and a quarter of the population in the new Czechoslovakia were German too. Both of these countries, with large populations of ethnic Germans, were soon going to be absorbed into the new German Reich, thanks to the remarkable political gifts of Adolf Hitler. President Wilson's ideal of self-determination, which everyone knew had not been fairly applied to the Germans in Europe, and Hitler's often used threat of going to war, saw to this result. A modern-day equivalent would be Vladimir Putin's frequent threat to resort to nuclear weapons. Democracies are not keen to go to war because everyone in the country pays for it in some way or another. But in a dictatorship, the life at the top doesn't change whether you win the war or lose it, unless you lose it really badly like Hitler did. But the consequences of not standing up to bullies always proves higher later on than it would have been if the bully had been stopped at the beginning from the time the new state of Czechoslovakia was created in 1919, the concerns and needs of its very large German minority were not addressed fairly within this new country. The Germans now felt alienated in a country where most of them had lived for nearly 400 years. Things had gone okay, though, until the Great Depression and Hitler coming to power. The Czech Germans mostly lived in the part of Czechoslovakia close to the German border called the Sudetenland. A quarter of the new Czechoslovakia's population were also in the Sudetenland and the majority of them were German. These German people lived their lives speaking German, reading German, thinking German, more than Czech. And there were three million of them. Most of Czechoslovakia's industry was located in the Sudetenland, and this territory was protected by the formidable obstacle of the Tatra Mountains. So this area was vital to this new country. The industries in the Sudetenland were very badly affected by the Great Depression, with very high rates of unemployment, and suffered from lack of world trade. In Germany it was the same, until Adolf Hitler, the Nazis, came to power. Hitler immediately began a massive rearmament program in Germany which rapidly saw unemployment disappear and prosperity return. Many of the Sudeten Germans could only look on in envy and wish that they were part of that country. A new political party was formed called the Sudeten German Party. It was a Nazi party spin-off. Its leader, Konrad Henlein, worked in close cooperation with the Nazis, but officially it was not supposed to be wanting to break away from Czechoslovakia. That was a lie. But there were many Sudeten Germans who were happy with things the way they were and did not want to have their territory become a part of Germany. Things in Nazi Germany were not all good. Alarmed by the increasing aggressiveness of Hitler, the Czechs built what may have been the most powerful defensive works in the world, on their border with Germany in the Tatra Mountains in the Sudetenland. As part of the defensive preparations against aggression from Germany, German postmasters and police were removed and replaced by Czech and Slovak ethnics in the Sudetenland. 
This caused outrage in the German population, which made Henlein's Czech Nazi Party spin-off so popular that in May 1935 elections it won 15% of the vote, making it the largest political party in the Czech parliament. The peace of Europe looked to be in jeopardy if war was to break out between Germany and Czechoslovakia. England, which had suffered terribly in the Great War, was in no mood to go into another war. In early November 1937, Lord Halifax, a close confidant of the British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain, flew to Germany and met with Herr Hitler. Halifax told Hitler that England could live with a change to the boundaries between Germany and Czechoslovakia. It was like President Biden's statement in January 2022 that the West's response to a minor incursion by Russian military forces into the Ukraine would only draw a muted response. A wink's as good as a nod to a blind horse, as the old saying goes. And this encouraged Hitler in his plans to move in and take over the Sudetenland. On 20 February 1938, Hitler declared to the German parliament, the Reichstag, that over 10 million Germans in Austria and Czechoslovakia were suffering intolerable persecution and asserted the right to defend them, regardless of where they lived. 10 million more Germans were going to translate into a lot more soldiers for Germany in the coming war, plus all of the industry, wealth and resources in those countries that would come into Hitler's hands. On 11 March 1938, the Germans entered Austria, and that country ceased to exist, being absorbed as part of Germany. That very same day, a small, unmarked plane flew over the Czech border and dropped leaflets, which read, Tell them in Prague, Hitler sends his greetings. Czechoslovakia had just been given rock-solid assurances by Blum, the Prime Minister of France. If France went to war with Germany over Czechoslovakia, even though England had no alliance with Czechoslovakia, Benish felt confident that England would also come to Czechoslovakia's assistance. Unfortunately, nothing in this developing crisis played out favourably for the Czechs. Blum's government fell a few weeks later. He was replaced by Eduard Daladier, who was not going to get into a war with Germany if he had anything to say about it. England also didn't want to get into a war with Germany. The Czech hope for help was going to be dashed because instead of the French dragging the English into war with them, like Benesch had hoped, the English were going to drag the French back from going into war. Hitler had his men in Czechoslovakia, Henlein, step up his activity to provoke action by the government against the Germans living there. Nazi media released endless stories to the world press of atrocities by the Czechs against the Sudeten Germans. It was all lies, but people always readily believe lies. The truth is much harder to get at. The President Benesch responded by being conciliatory. Hitler was getting impatient to bring this to a successful conclusion for him. He ordered the German army to mobilise. The German army in May 1938 was nowhere near the awesome war machine that it would become after 1940. The German generals were nervous about going to war with Czechoslovakia. It was not going to be a pushover. On 20 May 1938, the Czech High Command learnt that the German army was massing along their shared border and partially mobilised their own army. 
Within hours, 200,000 Czech reservists with battalions of mechanised infantry were on the move. Czechoslovakia had 30 full-strength divisions backed by armour and a modern air force with 1,200 planes. France told Hitler that it would stand behind its treaty obligations and England felt compelled to say that it might get involved too. Hitler had to back down to his huge humiliation. After the Germans had taken over the Sudetenland in late 1938, the German army advised Hitler that, in their opinion, they could not have forced their way through the Czech defence works. But Hitler wouldn't know that until after the Sudetenland was under his control. If he had ever pushed the button to invade Czechoslovakia, he probably would have been removed by a coup by the army, and World War II would never have happened. 60 million lives would have been saved at the much smaller price of a little war of short duration in 1938. Out of this crisis, Neville Chamberlain came to the firm view that there was really nothing that England could do to help the Czechs. Looking for any excuses and fuelled by Goebbels' brilliant propaganda, the English and the French felt that President Benish was being pig-headed and unreasonable. The British ambassador to Prague suggested to Benish that an independent mediator should be appointed to negotiate a solution to the problem. Any such negotiated solution would be bad for Czechoslovakia, but not necessarily good from Hitler's point of view. The mediator England sent, Lord Runciman, saw President Benesh offering everything the Nazis were asking for except for the Sudetenland to leave Czechoslovakia. It was a bold move by Benesh calling the Nazis bluff. Lord Runciman ignored that offer, returned to England and reported that the Czechs should have handed over the Sudetenland to Germany without any more fuss. Chamberlain just wanted to fix this problem at any price. The situation over Sudetenland deteriorated over the following months, with war seeming ever more imminent. There were meetings between Prime Minister Chamberlain, who flew to meet Adolf Hitler at his country residence at Berchtesgaden. Finally, with Hitler massing again his armed forces for war with Czechoslovakia, Chamberlain and the French Prime Minister Daladier flew to meet him one more time, with Benito Mussolini, the fascist dictator, as mediator. Hitler had communicated to the British that he was now prepared to accept the British proposal for peace, agreeing to a free plebiscite, a vote by the people for the Sudetenland territories, to decide their own future, to join with Germany or to stay with Czechoslovakia. Hitler threw in a guarantee of the new borders if the Sudetenland joined Germany. It sounded good. Chamberlain was in no mood to be forceful. He said that this meeting was the last tuff of grass on the very verge of the precipice. And he was desperate to grab a hold before Europe tumbled over the cliff into a new world war. The Czechs were not invited to attend this meeting at which their fate was decided. The negotiations produced an infinitely worse outcome, with Hitler no longer making the offers that he had made immediately before the meeting. The Sudetenland would be handed over to Germany without a vote. 800,000 Czechs would become part of Germany. The entire defences of Czechoslovakia on the border would be handed over to Germany, leaving the rump of Czechoslovakia defenceless. At 1.30am, 
Chamberlain invited the Czech representatives, who had been left outside the conference room, where Hitler, Mussolini, Chamberlain and Deladier decided his country's fate to come to his hotel suite. Chamberlain told them that he had negotiated the best deal they could hope for. If they didn't accept it, they would be left to fight the Germans alone. Deladier seemed embarrassed by this betrayal, as he should have. But France wasn't prepared to go it alone against Germany. At 5pm, the Czech Prime Minister, Sirovi, announced the terrible outcome to his people. I am passing through the saddest moment of my life, for I am fulfilling a most painful duty, a duty which for me is worse than death. We were confronted with a choice between desperate and hopeless defence and acceptance of conditions imposed on us under pressure and without war, which in their merciless are unexampled in history. We were abandoned. We stood entirely alone. Just six months later, on 15 March 1939, in total breach of every promise made by Hitler to the English and the French, the Nazis occupied the rest of Czechoslovakia, letting their neighbour, the Hungarians, grab some of the Czech territory for themselves. It would be another 50 years before Czechoslovakia would regain its freedom. After the fall of Nazi Germany and the liberation, if I can call it that, of Czechoslovakia by the Red Army, the Communists would control the country for the bulk of the time that Prague was in chains. There are people who say that you can learn nothing from history, but I disagree and I'll tell you why, which is different from the idea of the German philosopher Hegel, who said, perhaps more accurately, we learn from history that we do not learn from history. Winston Churchill famously said to Neville Chamberlain on the shocking peace treaty that he had concluded by surrendering the Sudetenland to Germany in the face of German threats of going to war, uh, you were given the choice between war and dishonour. You choose dishonour and you will have war. Tragically, he was right. In less than a year from the surrender by England and France to Hitler at Munich over Czechoslovakia, world war erupted when Hitler invaded Poland and England and France did what they should have done for Czechoslovakia, went to war. In 1938, it would have been a war that Hitler could not have won. Hitler would have been removed before it began by his generals in a coup. In 1939, it was a war that Hitler had a real prospect of winning thanks to the concessions and gifts of the territory of Czechoslovakia. Talking about Hegel's not learning from history, we saw the same situation with Ukraine after the collapse of the Soviet Union, Ukraine was the third strongest nuclear power in the world, with 176 strategic and more than 2,500 tactical nuclear missiles. There was a great deal of nervousness in America and England about that, so after negotiations with the United States, Great Britain and Russia, Ukraine gave up all of its nuclear weapons to Russia in exchange for security guarantees. Those countries pledged to respect the independence and existing borders of Ukraine. A document known as the Budapest Memorandum was signed by those parties on 5 December 1994. 
But in March 2014, ten years later, Russia annexed the Crimea from Ukraine. The world stood by while that happened. Lawyers said that the Budapest Memorandum wasn't really a document that required America and England to go to war with Russia over its aggression. Like the Munich Agreement 76 years before, the Budapest Memorandum proved to have no value. The best defence against aggression is, and always has been, self-defence, as Ukraine has shown. In 1945, the Nazis were expelled from Czechoslovakia, but their brutal regime was immediately replaced with pretty much more of the same by the communists. In January 1968, the feeble light of freedom flickered briefly in Czechoslovakia when the Prague Spring began. And that's what I'll talk about in my next program. Thanks for joining me, Paul, in The Danger Zone. If you have any questions about anything in this program, maybe you could catch up with me for my guided tour at the Australian Armour and Artillery Museum on Saturday mornings starting at 10.30am. Probably the world's best guided tour of an armour and artillery museum, borrowing from the Danish Carlsberg slogan for their beer, probably the best beer in the world. If you liked this program, you will definitely love my other program, CYKIAE.